0: What's going on, everybody? My name is Patrick.
1: And my name is Luke. And this is Comets in Medicine. We're two seniors here at UTD who are just finishing up the 2022 medical school application cycle. On this podcast, we'll be talking
0: about the process of applying to medical school and providing relevant advice, resources, and information to increase your chances of success.
1: We'll share our own experiences, interview exceptional alumni and students, and empower you to become successful Comets in Medicine. Okay, everyone, welcome to this episode of Comets in Medicine. Today, we'll be interviewing Patrick about his experiences at UTD, what made him successful in those experiences, and he'll be bestowing some words of wisdom on us from his time here in college. So to get ourselves started, we're gonna start this like every medical school interview ever. So Patrick, (laughs) could you just tell me about yourself?
0: Yeah, Luke, I'd love to. Um originally from a smaller community in central Kentucky, spent all 18 years of my life growing up there. Um, I have two parents who immigrated here from Nigeria. Um, They're both humanities professors, one in philosophy, the other in English. I have the older sisters. I like to say I was raised by four moms who ruled with an iron fist. (laughs) Um, Yeah, medicine really came into my life when I was In middle school, and my father started to develop symptoms of cognitive impairment, which progressed into vascular dementia. And it was through my mom and I's experience caring for him and and learning about the medical industry itself that I gained this interest in medicine, um, specifically the the humanistic side of it. Um, I realized that medicine isn't just about diseases, it's about people. And I told myself when I got to college, I would explore that. I also told myself I'd explore research. My idea of research was, um, yeah, mostly based off of Tony Stark from Marvel movies. (laughs) I imagine the glowing orb of who knows what that's just floating in the basement next to the Ferraris and the um, Iron Man costumes. Uh, But I knew that was unrealistic. I was really enamored with this idea of discovery and I told myself I would explore that when I got into college as well. And so when I got into college, I did just those two things. I worked in several different basic research labs, I ended up volunteering in a lot of different medical capacities, and I realized that I loved medicine and research um, for a lot of the same reasons. I loved working in interdisciplinary teams, um, solving relevant problems that could really help people. And... It all culminated in this phenomenal experience working as a Green Fellow at UT Southwestern Medical Center, and that is what solidified my desire to apply as an MD-PhD applicant. That's what's led me here today in front of you.
1: Awesome. So now that we've done the introductions, Patrick, why don't you walk us through your four years of college? So let's start off with your freshman year. Describe your mindset going into that year and some of the things you did.
0: Yeah, so my general mindset coming in was, I guess you could sum it up in three words. I wanted to explore, learn, and discover. That was my goal. I was coming in as a McDermott Scholar, um, which has its own uh, level of resources and social capital. And it was through through that program that I was able to find my first research experience on campus. Um, I ended up working with the team of video game developers, of all things. They were trying to create this virtual world where you could interact with it uh, and learn all these AP biology principles, AP chemistry principles, just through interacting with this game interface, but they needed it to be biologically accurate. And that's where I came in. So I was combing through textbooks and um, kind of advising them on how to construct different parts of the video game, doing a lot of beta testing. It was actually pretty fun because I played video games for quite some time, but (laughs) as you can imagine, it wasn't... um, it wasn't the wet lab experience that I was um, envisioning for myself or um, what I really wanted to do as a researcher. And so I did that in my, my fall semester. And in my spring semester, I ended up transitioning to more of a wet lab that looked at, um, they were doing bioengineering for prosthetics. They were trying to discover what different kinds of metals you can use as the biomedical interface between a prosthesis. And the actual human nervous system, um, because they have to have very specific—they have to meet very specific criteria—in order to make sure that they work, they're durable, they don't poison the cell, they allow the neuronal signals to pass through and into the prosthesis and come back. Um, and that was that was a really engaging pro- process. I I learned that I loved research, and I wanted to pursue it further. Now on the on the clinical side of things, I became involved with a program called Comets Help. Um, my roommate, he was spitballing with this idea of serving geriatric patients at UT Southwestern Medical Center, specifically in a very humanistic capacity. So um, the goal of Comet's Help is to provide psychological and social support. So the volunteers will go to UT Southwestern, go door to door at patient rooms. We would just talk to them, learn about their stories, keep them from becoming delirious. Delirium is this state of confusion that um, can often lead to worsened prognoses and overall just the decline of health of the patient. And it's oftentimes provoked by isolation, which is very common for geriatric patients. Geriatric patients, um, they either don't have a social support group, and if they do have it, perhaps those people aren't willing to come and visit them as often. Um, some people have very active support groups, um, but we really wanted to catch those people who didn't have anybody and provide support for them. And so I started working with Kun and Sharma uh, in that program in my freshman year. And you'll see that thread coming up um, throughout the remainder of my undergraduate career.
1: Cool.
0: I also started to, you know, on the exploration side of things, I, ex- I got into so many different clubs so many different clubs. <laughs> clubs I don't even remember being a part of I, I joined AET I enjoy I joined molding doctors I joined clubs I don't even remember the names of <laughs> I'm still trying to get off some of those mailing lists if <laughs> I'm being honest with you to this day still trying to get off um but yeah I just wanted to you know the world was my oyster I was like ah, oh, this is college you have so many different resources and opportunities let's see what's happening yeah. uh, let's see what I can do with that um I'd say the last thing major thing would be student ambassadors. So uh, I applied for that, started working as a student ambassador at the end of my my freshman year.
1: Very cool. Yeah. So yeah, moving out of the, kind of that wide variety of experiences that you got in your freshman year, what did your sophomore year and fresh and that summer in between look like?
0: Yeah, so so my mentality going into this season was to consolidate and invest, right? I had all these different experiences. I knew some would be more fruitful than others, but I really just wanted to put time and effort into the handful of things I found interesting. So for me, that was research, that was comments help, that was being a student ambassador and becoming an EMT. Um, so I was able to use that experience, research experience at UT Dallas in my spring semester as a launching point to get a SURF REU fellowship at UT Southwestern. Now I'm going to take a little break and talk about these because I think these are a phenomenal resource that not enough people know about. So SURF stands for Summer Undergraduate Research Fellowship. Um, it is a part of a broader network of REU fellowships supported by the national government. So if you look across the nation, right, you can literally search this up online. Search up REU fellowships undergraduate. Um, you'll see that there are a lot of really cool summer research opportunities at different institutions. Um, They're usually 10 weeks, they pay you a stipend, they'll pay for your housing, and you just get to go there and learn how to be a scientist. UT Southwestern has one that I applied for. It was a phenomenal experience. I enjoyed it so much and it was so productive for me. I was actually able to stay on during the year um, all the way up until COVID started that following spring. Um, But you don't have to stay in Dallas. You can go to other schools and it's productive because not only are you learning how to be a scientist, right? not only is it paid so it's economically sustainable you're also networking so if you want to take a gap year you might be able to reach out to that lab
1: yeah
0: it's super
1: helpful i mean i think people don't recognize yeah just like the diversity of ways they can be used and also i think the the thing is too like it's 10 weeks like if you get there and you don't like it like okay like it's only 10 weeks like you'll be you will be okay but if you get there and you do like it like realize there's opportunities beyond that like what, what Patrick's experience was of then joining that lab afterwards. So yeah, I think they're just such an awesome program to apply for. And you can apply for a bunch of them. You don't have to just go to Southwestern, you know, you apply there. But if you don't get in, you also, you know, apply some other places as well if you want.
0: Yeah, you apply to multiple. Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, and the nice thing is that um the applications are very similar between these different yeah. programs, right? Yep. And you can apply for them as early as your freshman year. Mm-hmm. If you don't get in, apply your sophomore year. If you don't get in, apply your junior year. Yep. You just keep working on the same applications, making them better. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so in terms of research, that's what it looked like for me. Started becoming more invested in Comets Help, taking up more of a leadership role in that department. Um, I started working more in the internal infrastructure. So Comets Help is a partnership between UT Dallas and UT Southwestern. Um, We've been really good about partnering with UT Southwestern, but in terms of what the program looked like at UT Dallas, there was a lot of room for growth. And so that's where I invested my efforts. I also started a EMT certification class. That was fun. That was the one sponsored by UEMR. And that was in the fall of 2019. Now I got a lot of really interesting experiences out of that because when you do your clinical rotations at the end of the certification, you are in the back of an ambulance with the fire department. You are doing clinical rotations at yeah. the hospital. Yeah. Um, and I was actually able to talk about some of those experiences in my personal statement mm-hmm. um, or in the interview scenarios. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, that was a very meaningful experience. Um, still worked as a student ambassador. Um, that was that was very fun. It was a great way for me to get back to the community at UT Dallas it yep. had given me. And then sp- spring 2020 CoVID 19 broke out. a lot mm-hmm. of these experiences fell through. I couldn't yeah. do research. I was a liability in the lab based off mm-hmm. of the policy. Uh, student ambassadors went virtual Comets help had to go virtual because we were going to the hospital right
1: yeah
0: um, couldn't I was a participant in UEMR at yep. the time. Um, I couldn't do that.
1: So what, uh, tell us a little more about UEMR. What is that?
0: Yeah, so UEMR stands for the University Emergency Medical Response. And it is basically the on-campus 911 agency. Anytime 911 is called, um, UEMR is dispatched to go see what's up. And so you end up seeing peers, students, faculty, anybody who's on campus and calls 911, uh, we, we would treat them.
1: Yeah, cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so COVID's breaking out. It's the end of that spring semester. Um, was there anything else going on at that time before that summer? What were you doing in that period?
0: Yeah, really, I was just trying to stay alive. Like, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it felt like the world was, there was so much ambiguity, Yeah, right? That, that was that was the hardest part that I remember, just not knowing, right? It's easy mm-hmm. to make a plan when you have all the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. But the fact that we didn't, we there wasn't enough time for scientists to do research about it. So people really didn't know what COVID-19 was, the yeah. infection rates, what we could do to protect ourselves. Yeah. Um, and all of our classes were online. So yeah, yeah, I just coasted out for the rest of that semester.
1: Yeah. And then that summer, what were you doing?
0: So that summer, I took my MCAT. That took a lot of my time. Yeah. Um, The world was very quiet. <laughs> it was a good time to study. It
1: was. Yeah. Patrick and I studied for the MCAT, like, simultaneously. Yeah. Um, we, like like most of our friendship was formed on zoom calls we did every week while we were studying for the MCAT what's
0: that thing? suffering yeah like um people who stuff suffer together stick together something, or something. like that I don't, yeah. I don't know but um so, yeah, it funny was a bad
1: experience COVID helped us become friends <laughs> 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 so yeah. awesome so yeah running out of that COVID summer to the MCAT um moving into the junior year what was your approach at this point and what what kind of things were you up to
0: Yeah, so during the summer, um, there were a lot of protests for George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And for me, as a Black man, I had to figure out how to come to terms with what I saw. Yeah. And I needed to find a positive outlet for me to, I guess, affect change Mm -hmm. um, in ways that I thought were meaningful and relevant and and a response to what I saw. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I knew I couldn't do a lot of these other clinical or research experiences that I saw a lot of value in, right? Because mm-hmm. I just couldn't go into the hospital and I couldn't do research. Yeah. So I funneled that energy into different opportunities. Specifically, I worked with one of my friends to start a non-for-profit organization called Underrepresented Student Society. Okay. Um, it was a coalition of about, I don't know, like 500 students or so across the world. Uh, we were just connecting each other with resources providing mentorship, I would read applications, I would work with students one-on-one, mentor them through um, whatever they needed in terms of science and being a productive uh, pre-med. Yeah. Then I also joined the BBS Council for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion to create more institutionalized change at UT Dallas. Yeah, And that was very meaningful, it was very intimidating. I'm not gonna lie. Just (laughs) interacting with a panel of brilliant faculty members me being a junior basically a sophomore yeah i'm trying to talk about issues of diversity equity and inclusion Um, but i learned a lot through that experience they were very supportive yeah and we were very productive awesome uh i would say those were the two major things Mm -hmm. we also i also transitioned the team and i transitioned comments help to a virtual model yeah so instead of having volunteers go in person
1: Mm -hmm.
0: now they were calling patients on a weekly basis
1: awesome so Sweet. So moving into that uh, spring semester of your junior year, what did that look like?
0: Yeah. So I applied to become a Green Fellow and was accepted. And I ended up working in a cancer immunology, radiation oncology lab, studying metastatic models of, of colorectal cancer and pancreatic cancer as well. That was a very seminal experience for me. I, my PI is an MD PhD. I learned that I wanted to be an MD-PhD through my experience in that lab because I was looking at him and I saw what he had, the way he had designed the lab to work translationally, how he was taking questions and issues from his patients in the clinic and then finding solutions to them through basic sciences. And I was inspired uh, and it really motivated me to pursue this career path. And meanwhile, during that time, I was also organizing my thoughts and preparing my application materials for, mm-hmm. for Amcas. Yeah. So.
1: Very cool. So running into that summer and into your senior year, what did things look like for you?
0: Yeah, so I was <laughs> I underestimated the workload. Yeah. I knew it would be difficult. I knew it would take a lot of time. But let me let me throw some numbers out here. I applied to just shy of 40 institutions through mm-hmm. my primary application, I completed 35 secondary applications for MD-PhD <laughs> programs. <laughs> so MD-PhD, <laughs> I'm just laughing, thinking about this. Yeah. So the way MD-PhD secondaries work, it depends on the institution. Sometimes you have to fill out a second secondary application in addition to the medical school application um, one that's specific to MD, PhDs. so you end up doing twice the work for some institutions mm-hmm. um fortunately a lot of those essays are similar so you can repurpose essays yeah. send them to different schools right but every once in a while you get one that just really requires you to be original and and
1: yeah.
0: um, you really have to generate things from scratch
1: yeah
0: moving on into my fall semester my my mentality was just execute you made it this far don't drop the ball. I ended up doing 15 interviews. Um, I didn't realize that MD PhD interviews were two to three days long per, per <laughs> institution or yeah. one to three days long per institution. Um, and that's eight to five. Yeah. take. At the end of the semester, I was tired.
1: Yeah. Was <laughs> a was, lot. I was tired. Yeah. And before we go on, just this idea of like, yeah, if that number of schools is like intimidating to you, um, keep in mind that MD PhD applications one work very differently and are much more competitive. At m- m- most schools, you're talking about about like ten is the average students that get accepted into most MD PhD programs. Like that's kind of the accepted norm, eight to
0: ten. That that will be the norm. Yeah. The so
1: you imagine the you know the, most medical schools are going to have between like 100 and 250 people in their classes. Compare that to ten. <laughs> so one mdph applications they just build different and two we were in you know patrick was in a, a position where he was able to p- apply to tons and tons of schools so yeah yeah i was Do you to have that. to apply to 40 schools no but there are definitely some reasons to apply to as many as you can especially if you're one of those mdph applicants do you have anything else to add to that
0: yeah, I mean, like you said, my situation was unique. I had received a scholarship that enabled me to apply to that many schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: financially, guys, um, if you don't know, applying to schools costs money. Like most applications are like, what, like 100 to 200. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's it adds up quick. Right. So we'll talk more about choosing what schools to apply to and writing secondaries and all that in a later episode. And we'll give the details of what we did and probably some mistakes that we made and things that we've learned <laughs> yeah. um, along the way. So, yeah. Anyways, moving back, back into your uh, senior year there.
0: Yeah. So I guess one mantra is one from, from Kobe Bryant. Um, and one thing that he's known for saying is rest at, rest at the end, not in the middle. Mm. And that's something that I, I told myself on the really hard days, uh, when I would wake up Yeah, and I just, (laughs) you just had to go there and communicate for eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a perfect fit for your school <laughs> and I am competent. Oh I will not only succeed, God. I will contribute to your school in meaningful ways. I just, yeah. I, so, yeah. so, um, meanwhile, you know, while I'm doing this, we're transitioning Comet's help to a new leadership team to ensure it'll outlive our time at the university. I continued working as a student ambassador. And at the end of my junior year, I added a minor in medical and scientific humanities, medical and scientific humanities. And so I've spent much of my senior year pursuing coursework in that area. You know, medical ethics, uh, communication, persuasion, uh, things like that. And if you haven't taken a humanities course, shameless plug, please do. <laughs> not only will they make you a better writer, yeah, they'll encourage you how to, they'll encourage you to think in different ways. Yeah, um, yeah. life is not just about memorizing and regurgitating information. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really easy to get into that trap um, in some in some aspects of the pre med curriculum.
1: Sweet. So yeah, give us a summary of where are you at now with all this process, this whole process. So I
0: received my last uh, admissions decision yesterday. Nice. From, for an MD PhD program. And now I'm just going to be touring a couple of institutions over the next couple okay. of months, figure out which one I wanted to select. And um,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's an exciting time. Yeah. Awesome, Patrick. Yeah. thanks so much for detailing that for us. It's really cool to see how one, your experiences built on one another, you know, there's just the the very clear path that you have um, to where you are now. And it's also really inspiring to see the ways that you responded to events that happened around you, right? Like there were, there were responses to things that were going on in the world and things that you realized were central to who you were. And so I think that's just so cool to see uh, how your passions developed and also you know, your plans are flexible and you were able to really rotate and move and find and create these opportunities for yourself. So before we move on, could you just give us, yeah, some insight into what allowed you to kind of find those experiences, especially those ones in research labs? And that's a common thing that people go through, like, how do I get into this? And also, once you're in those research labs, what made you successful? Um, what were the things that you did to be a productive member of the group?
0: Yeah. I would say when it comes to finding opportunities, right? The internet is your best friend. Um, Don't be afraid to just type questions and see what pops up. Um, But also don't underestimate the people around you. I'd say a lot like my first wet lab experience. I got that from a friend. Yeah. She recommended that I reach out to this specific graduate student in the lab. Mm -hmm. Tell her that I'm reaching out because of my friend. Yeah. And because of that, I was actually able to get a position in the lab, which set me up for success down the road. Right. Yeah. So being friendly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like every person you meet has a story, Mm -hmm. you don't know what it is. And that's the fun part, you know, Yeah. go up and talk to people, be Mm -hmm. bold, be courageous and be curious about the people around you. Mm -hmm. Um, Recognize that everyone is valuable and don't underestimate um, the impact, the positive impact that they can have on your life and how you can positively impact theirs.
1: Yeah.
0: And that kind of branches into how I was able to be successful in a research laboratory. It's about the value that you're able to contribute in the professional setting. And Luke, I think you said it best in your interview um, in an earlier episode, you know, you have to treat it like a job. Mm-hmm. And I think a key component of a job is that you are producing value mm-hmm. that is beneficial to the community that you're in. Yeah. Right. So in a researching community, not only are you an active member, you're contributing your intellectual capital and your creative capacity. Mm-hmm. You're also producing data. Yeah. As an undergraduate, I was lost, right? You, you get it. So this is what it was like in the vast majority of my of my experiences, walking into the lab on day one. Yeah. Wow, Patrick, we're so glad to have you. Um, let's, let's, I'm going to tell you about the different projects we have in the lab. They would tell me about these projects. All of them would sound cool. And they're like, all right, so go familiarize yourself with the literature. You'll be shadowing this person. They'll teach you the ropes, the different techniques, and we'll go from there. So I'm like, awesome. I'll go and look at the literature. And then I'm like, oh, well, how do I do that? (laughs) So I would go into Google, right? And I'd be like, oh, cancer immunology. And then you'd get 4 billion responses. (laughs) Shoot, how am I going to narrow that down? (laughs) Okay, okay. Then I discovered something called Google Scholar. (laughs) Google Scholar is great because it basically takes all the peer-reviewed articles, you know, the research papers, and consolidates them into one research database. And I was like, well, now we're down to four million. That's still a lot. And I know that this is very specific, but if you are interested in doing biomedical sciences, please, please, please look up two things. One is called Scopus. The other one is called Web of Science. They are two databases that you have access to because you are a UT Dallas student. And if you explore the platforms, just search them up on the UT Dallas website. They will make finding papers that are relevant to your field 10 times easier. Not only that, they will, able, they will enable you to look at the leaders in the field so that you can consolidate yeah. <laughs> and really focus on the high yield papers. Yeah. The second thing I would say is, look at literature reviews. A lot of people don't know these exist. A literature is basically somebody who's reading, I don't know, hundreds of papers, a publication yeah. in a specific field and summarizing what all those papers say in one paper. Yeah. So if you're trying to get interested or um, knowledgeable in a new yeah. field, start with literature reviews mm-hmm. as a way to build up your intellectual yeah. foundation.
1: And I think another thing to do in that situation as well is just to like ask the PI or ask one of the grad students to like recommend you a few papers to start with. And then I something I've done in my like minimal research experience is like like obviously like going through sources and like source tracking. So if you have like a big article that, that lab just published, right? Like whatever the last publication was on your project, just go look at their sources on that paper and start reading the sources that they use or at least trying to find the major ones. That's another great way to start kind of getting yourself up to speed on things and i think don't underestimate your ability to do that i think we think like oh i can't i can't do that like i'm not a phd student like phd students aren't that much much farther removed from undergrad than you are um and they started in the same place you did and if you've taken some intro level courses you probably have the ability to start to build at least a basic knowledge of what those papers are are saying um and something that like a, a teacher of mine used to say, is like there's fruit on every shelf. Like there's something on every shelf of this paper. So even if you can't understand everything on the top shelf, you can still reach up and grab the low hanging stuff on the you know on the first shelf. And yeah, you might miss the details right now, but think like the people who take that ownership to do that kind of stuff are the ones who can yeah can be really successful in that. Exactly. Yeah. So apart from literature, what were what some of the things that you did?
0: Yeah, so just you know broad overviews. Being curious is essential. You need to find a way to ask questions that are relevant to the experiments that you're doing in the lab. Ask questions about the things that you're reading. Ask questions about, oh, why are you doing this experiment? Oh, what what questions are you trying to answer? Learn to see the gaps and ask questions to fill the gaps. So being curious, that's one way to show that you are, one, have a scientific critical mind. Yeah. Um, and it helps you be successful in that environment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, number two, work ethic. Research is hard. You <laughs> in the lab we almost made T-shirts that said, "Research is ninety percent failure, ten percent success," and we're still waiting on the ten percent <laughs> because a lot of the experience, Now, those don't; those are not definitive percentages, right? However, you your experiments will fail at some point. And you have to learn how to figure out what went wrong with them and keep moving forward. It's just going to happen. And that just takes a lot of resilience and hard work. The third thing is don't procrastinate. Being a productive scientist is fundamentally incompatible with procrastination. Because unlike for an exam, you can't cram for a research paper. You either have the data or you don't. The only way to get the data is to do the experiments. And the experiments don't work all the time. So (laughs) it's gonna take you multiple months, sometimes even years, depending on where you are in your academic career to get all the data you need to make the publication. So pace yourself. Yeah.
1: Cool. Sweet. Yeah, one of the thing that comes to mind for me from my lab experience was being bold about kind of what I needed um, as a a pre-med student and, and kind of after I'd been with the group for a while and had a working relationship with my over the person was overseeing me being like hey you know i would really like to get money on a publication i would really like to have some sort of project that i can claim as my own out of this experience like what can i do to kind of work towards that with you what would be some things that you need to see from me so i think being being bold i think sometimes you just like expect things to fall in our lap because we don't want to like cross a boundary or be too pushy but i think if you've been in a place for a while and you have a good working relationship you understand the science you can you're autonomous, like, don't be afraid to have a conversation with somebody above you about like, hey, what can I do to take some ownership here, have some sort of something that I can present at the end of it, if that's not happening um, for you off the bat, which it probably won't.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're walking into a research environment, I think it's important to recognize the position that the graduate student and the PIs, right? Yeah. From an academic standpoint, it's very difficult to get an academic position at a university.
1: Yeah.
0: In order to maintain that position, right, you need to be a productive scientist, right? You need to be pushing out papers, yeah. you need to be going to conferences, things like that, right? So bringing in a new student who may not be productive yeah. is a risk.
1: Yeah, it's a liability. Sure. It's,
0: it's a liability from the perspective of the other students yeah. and the yeah. PI. So it's important to recognize that building credibility in that environment it's takes time. Take time. And the thing is you you'll start off with small things, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, pour the gels. Yeah. Clean up the lab. Yeah. Do those things really, really well, yeah. be dependable, show up, do them well every yeah. single time. And eventually you'll get enough credit to take ownership of your own experiments yeah. and things like exactly. that um, because you've built up that trust. Yeah. You built up that reputation in the laboratory
1: yeah. environment. So, so I think, yeah, I say that like, for me, that looked, that looked like, I spent a year and a half, two years basically in a lab before I got to the place where I was like, "Hey, can I like do something so I can get a poster presentation?" Um, that's not how I worded it, but you know that that there was it was a lot of it was a lot of, of effort for sure. Um, so yeah, I like I think that's really important is to realize the position that you're in, like yeah, how like awesome it is to be able to have that experience at all.
0: Um, I think
1: another thing too um, for MD applicants don't feel this like overwhelming pressure to have a publication. I did not have any publications and I've been accepted to one of the top three medical schools in the country. It It is not a requirement. Is it good to have some, a product from your research? Absolutely. My product was a poster presentation and that was a great, it was my project, I could talk about it, awesome. So yeah, just dispelling that myth, don't feel that pressure, but publications are really, really good things to have. It doesn't make them not valuable, um, especially if you're an MD, phd applicant. I mean, they're basically a requirement almost, right?
0: Um, not quite, no. Um, yes, you need to have a certain volume of research experience, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people end up do having research publications. Most yeah. MD-PhD applicants I've encountered take cap years, yeah. work for an entire year in a lab, either at the NIH mm-hmm. or some institution, and they end up publishing things, right? Yeah um i personally came in with one publication a couple that were in that were in the yeah. queue awesome. um and that was helpful to me right yeah um but the most important thing is one um, at least from mdphd applicants having volume of experience to know yeah. that you would be successful in a graduate exactly. setting right yeah. so a lot of applicants well thousands of hours mm-hmm. with the researching experience yeah and then the other thing is to be able to talk about that cogently
1: mm-hmm.
0: um they will not only ask you about what you did they will ask you about where the field is. Yeah. What you would do differently, um, what and further questions you have, how you would answer those questions. Yeah, you have to sense. be able to talk to someone who's an expert. <laughs> yeah. In whatever you you ended yeah. up studying or yeah. doing in your research, right? So that yeah, and that keep MD PhD. Right?
1: The MD PhD yeah. world is is wild when it comes to the research stuff. Um. Yeah. So all in all, publications they're valuable because it's something that you had ownership of. It's a product that you made. It shows that you had your own responsibility in the lab. It shows that you're productive, it shows that you understand science, you can write, et cetera. Those things are all really good. If there's other ways to show that, however, you can do that other ways. So just keep that in mind. Don't get locked in this box. Like, Oh my gosh, I have to have publications. No, totally not true. Mm-hmm. Don't buy into that. Okay, cool. Moving along. So before we wrap up here, Patrick, I want to ask you to give us three points of wisdom, three points, pieces of advice for everyone listening to the show from your years at UTD. You know, it's been it's been a crazy four years. Um, we, you know, both of us came from pretty small towns to UT Dallas. You know, there's been COVID, there's been all sorts of unrest and political movements and things going on. You know, it the world has just gotten crazy. So it's been busy. I'm sure you've the learned a lot. So yeah, what would what would be some some advice?
0: The first thing that came that comes to mind is a piece of advice I learned right before I got into college, actually. My high school English teacher, the last thing he ever said to our class was figure out what's important to you and protect it." And I didn't realize how valuable that piece of advice would be over my four years at UT Dallas because I realized that, you know if <laughs> life is crazy, life is unpredictable. And if we don't protect the things that are important to us, if we don't maintain our priorities, they may fall away. Uh, for me, that looked like coming in and I was thinking, oh, my career is one of the most important things to me. I really need to protect this and set myself up for success. And as I've progressed through college, I've realized that community and relationships and, and service are really the priorities in my life, the things that I wanna protect moving forward, mm. right? and figuring out what was important to me and then making efforts to make that a priority in my life has made my life much more meaningful.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, second thing I would say, take responsibility for your own life and your future, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, everything that happens to us in life happens because we deserve it. Right. Everybody knows that life can be unfair. Life can be difficult, uh, unpredictable. Right. But at the end of the day, we have to learn how to roll with the punches. You know, like I'll, I'll draw an analogy here. So imagine I went to the grocery store and while I'm in the grocery store, someone bumps into the back of my car and drives away. And I come out and my car is damaged. Um, nobody saw it. I'm never going to see this person again. I have no way of figuring out there were no cameras, right? It wasn't fair. It's not my fault that my car was damaged, right? But I still need to take responsibility for it and take care of my car. That's just how the cookie crumbled that day. Um, COVID 19 was a very difficult time, like we mentioned, right? Um, we all had to learn how to roll with the punches and figure out how to protect the things that were important to us our families, our health, our career, um, our future, right? Our friends. Taking ownership of our own lives and our future, taking responsibility and making the most out of our current circumstances is, is a lesson that I found very valuable. The last thing I would say is just be very intentional with your time and your energy. They are finite resources. And I say resources because they are just that, meaning they have limits. Every single day, we only have 24 hours and we only have so much energy. And how we choose to spend that over the long call, well, yeah, it's, it's what shapes our lives. It's what shapes our lives. Yeah. And so if we're not intentional, if we're not good stewards of our time and our energy, well, we might not build the life that we really want to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would, those would be my three pieces of
1: advice. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story with us today, Patrick. Um, yeah, it's just so cool to see all the grit and hard work and just like dogged determination that you've had throughout your years at UTD. And even before that, um, yeah, if there's one thing you'll hear from both of us throughout this medicine a career as a physician, as a scientist, it's a vehicle to do the things that you're passionate about. So don't ever miss the forest for the trees. All right, guys, we will see you on the next episode. Peace out. Peace.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on this installment of Comets and Medicine. If you have any questions, be sure to reach out to us at commentsandmedicine at gmail.com. Just a quick reminder that anything said in this podcast is reflective of our own beliefs and has no affiliation to UT Dallas or its organizations. Until next time.